ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Penny Mackerson always knew that she was adopted. There was no choice about that, really. Penny grew up in a small town in country Victoria where everyone knew everything about everybody, particularly her family. Penny had been curious about her birth family as a child, but it wasn't until she became a mother herself that Penny felt the need to make connection with the woman who had given birth to her. Over the next 20 years, they established a relationship. Penny met her half-siblings and had a phone call with her natural father before he passed away. But Penny could never understand why she didn't look like anyone in her natural family. And then a DNA test that Penny did when she was 50 really confused her. It turned out that Penny hadn't found her biological mother after all. She had been accidentally swapped with another baby in a Melbourne hospital in the 1960s. Penny's incredible story is featured in this season of the SBS program, Every Family Has a Secret. Hi, Penny. Hi, Sarah. Why was it that your adopted parents had no choice but to be transparent with you about how you came into their family? Because that wasn't always the case in the 1960s. No, it certainly wasn't. And I think if they'd had a choice, they would have also been secretive about that. But we lived in a very small community um, in the Buchan district, Buchan South, and my adoptive parents operated the local post office and telephone exchange, which was a 24-hour service, and people in the community were dropping in all the time. So every day, multiple times, lots of people. So people would have noticed. So they couldn't actually conceal that they had adopted children. How did your parents talk to you about your adoption when you were young? Well, we, well, both my brother and I, we can't remember not knowing that we were adopted. We were told from such a young age. So it was talked about as a a matter of fact thing, oh, you were adopted. But there wasn't a lot more information forthcoming, really, because they said that they didn't really know much about our backgrounds. In my case, the social worker who handed me over at the at the hospital, at the Queen Victoria Hospital, simply said that my mother was very young, that she was at school when she got pregnant, that she had me and then went back to school to continue her education and that she came from the inner north of Melbourne. Do you remember wanting to know more or was that just, that was enough at the time? Well, that was all I was going to get at the time. Um, But I never ruled out. Mum would uh, regularly, though not often, but regularly ask if I thought I might search in the future for my mother, my natural mother. And um, I was very honest. I said, I'm not sure. I wouldn't rule it out because I was always curious. So it was something that was always there. I didn't have a burning passion to do it as a child, but I was always curious. You moved from this little town to the big smoke to Melbourne to go to university and study social work. Was the fact that you had this first-hand experience of being adopted part of what drew you to that path, do you think? Yeah. Yes, definitely. And and feeling, well, feeling a lot of gratitude for having, you know, such a good childhood and good parents and and feeling because of the role modelling that, you know, my adoptive parents had shown that I I would like to give back to the community, but it was also an element of hopefully helping women who might find themselves in the situation that my natural mother did, offering options, hoping so that she wouldn't have to feel forced to give up her child. You got married when you were in your mid-20s and had your son. Is that when you first looked into getting more information about your natural parents? Yes, it was the year we got married in 1989. I felt like I at least needed to have some medical information. So yes, I applied for my adoption records. And was that fairly straightforward, that process, Penny? Yes, yes, it was, although there was a wait at the time because the Adoption Act that allowed this access to records had only been passed in 1984 It came into effect in 1986 and there was a long waiting list for people wanting to access their records. 
And what did you do with that information at that point? Well, when I got it, I, well, I obviously read it very closely and some of it was a bit surprising. I wasn't surprised that there was no father on my original birth certificate, but I'd always sort of thought that because mum and dad had said, oh, the social worker told them that my mum came from the inner north of Melbourne, I sort of had a thought in my head, well, maybe maybe she's got some European background. So when I saw that her name was very Anglo, uh, Anglo-Celtic, I thought, oh, okay, I wasn't expecting that. So then I focused on trying to get my medical records and I contacted the hospital, but the Queen Vic had not long merged with um, Monash Health and um, they just sort of fobbed me off and said, oh, well, your records from 1963 when you were born would have been um, purged when the hospitals merged, so, uh, you know, you're not going to have them. So I didn't even put in a formal application because I was sort of, you know, led to believe that there were no records from the hospital. You didn't attempt to make contact with your natural mother at that point, but what happened, Penny, that made you reach for those records again? We had a second pregnancy, so my first, uh, our first son was born in 1995 And our second pregnancy was twins, and they were born very prematurely at 22 weeks and five days at the beginning of 1997. And that was, you know, the most devastating thing that had ever happened to me. And I I got very depressed. I felt like I'd lost my way, didn't know who I was, what I was doing here, and just really felt the need to ground myself and connect with my natural mother and sort of rebuild my identity, really. So how did you go about getting in touch in that place of grief, I guess, with the the woman who was on your your records from the hospital? Well, Vanish, the organisation formerly known as the Victorian Adoption Network for Information and Self-Help, they were very skilled at assisting people search and, and help provide support through groups, support groups, and I went to them knowing, well, as a social worker, I knew about them, and I went to them and they found very quickly that my mother was actually in the same house that she'd come from when she came to Melbourne to go to the mothers and babies home before she had me. So we identified where she was very quickly, and then they provided some guidance about how to write a very brief and, you know, sort of neutral letter about who I was looking for, you know, in case it got into the wrong hands or to not give too much away to protect her privacy. And so I I wrote a letter and she replied almost straight away and we established correspondence, contact exchange very quickly. And did you meet face to face quickly too? No, not, not quickly. And that was because while in her letters she told me that she'd told her husband, who wasn't my father, about having given up a child before she was married. She hadn't told her other children, five other children, and felt she needed time to, probably to muster up the courage really, but to tell them. So it was uh, probably at least six, probably seven months after we started uh, letter contact that uh, we met after she'd told her children. And what was that meeting like? It was sort of strange. There was huge relief for me that it was going to happen because I knew then that she definitely wasn't rejecting me. Although, you know, I was worried that I wouldn't be accepted. um, And I was worried that if her children didn't accept me, that I wouldn't be accepted either. So that first meeting was a big relief, a huge relief. Um, And I remember walking up the drive and a first really big hug and the overwhelming feeling for me was was relief. Once you were introduced to her other children, was there a feeling of immediate connection with this new family? Uh, No, no. And partly that was because of their reactions to me. It was like, who is this older sibling that they've never heard about coming into their life? And you know, a lot of uncertainty for them about what does this mean. And they weren't 
embracing it. I could tell from the very first time I met that uh, it wasn't going to be easy and I'd have to really focus on building trust and building relationships with them. Goodness, I'm just struck by what a what a burden for the child or adult as you are, but the child who's seeking this connection, having to still kind of win people over or have that sense. That must, that must feel like a really heavy burden or an unjust burden in some way. I think a lot of adoptees would say that and um, feel like, yeah, it's even though we've been the subject of the decision to be relinquished, we often feel that we're intruding. So, yeah, it does feel like we have to take responsibility for that. And, and you know, I have always taken responsibility for the decisions I've made about when to search and not search. And at the time when I searched, for example, I didn't tell my, my adoptive mother she was still alive then. I didn't tell her until I'd established letter contact with my natural mum. And I then told my adoptive mum and, you know, she didn't like it. She was very upset about it. Really didn't want me to continue having contact with my natural mother. So I decided I would continue having contact, but to make mum feel secure in our relationship, her big fear was that I'd end the relationship with her, which to me was just astounding that she could be so insecure about, you know, we we were close. So it was hurtful, but was very real for her. So I couldn't, could not only talk to her about having contact with my natural mum, but I couldn't talk to any of my other adoptive family either in case they accidentally said something to my adoptive mum. So, so then I'm engaged in all this secrecy to try and protect mum's feelings. So, mm. yeah, it gets very complicated. What about your natural father, Penny? What could your birth mother tell you about him or was there a chance to make contact there? She did tell me about him almost in the first or maybe second letter. So she told me he was older than her, that he was separated at the time, that he didn't know she got pregnant, that it was, you know, a one-night thing and that he'd moved away. So she hadn't seen him since. At the time, she didn't know where he was living, um, but she thought it was interstate. But then a few years after we connected, me and my natural mum, he actually moved back to the town where she was living and he visited her and so she told him about me. And and I'd passed on if she ever did see him, please let him know I'd like to have contact if he's up for it. So she told him that, gave him my contact details and after... Well, several months, maybe even a couple of years, I can't remember now, he did phone me. So I had one phone call with him, which was just a few months before he passed away. What was that conversation like? Mm, it was um, it was kind of strange because, like, I was just something out of left field for him and he had several other, at least half a dozen other children and several different mums. So I was trying to, you know get a handle on, oh, how many siblings have I got? And he sort of said, oh, well, you know, I could phone you again. Or So it was really he wanting to phone me, not giving me an opportunity to phone him. I think he phoned from a public telephone booth. I even had them still then. And, um, and it was like, oh, okay. So I felt like he might have done it as a favour to my mum, my mother, my natural mother, rather than because he felt any real obligation as such. And then he passed away before you had the chance to meet one another in person. But you did have this relationship with your natural mother and her other children. Did you look like anyone in that family, Penny? Not really. I mean, I didn't look so incredibly different that it was like it jumped out. But you know, I looked through all the photo albums. I, you know, I spent time with everybody and I kept trying to see if any of my features were reflected in them. And I couldn't see any real resemblance at any age. So looking through all the photo albums when they were little, I just couldn't see myself anywhere. And my natural mum said, oh, but you look more like your father's family. And 
I said, well, okay, like him. And she'd say, no, more like his sister. So it was like, okay. But she had no photos of anybody. And of course, I didn't get to meet him. So I just felt like, well, I really need, I really need to see someone who I look like. But it was more than just even that. It was more, I didn't have a personality like uh, my natural mum and her family, my interests. Like, I, it, it was a struggle to find commonality. And whilst I loved them, and I felt they loved me, I just didn't feel that I was like them. And partly my head was saying, but you're a half-sibling, you know, you don't have to look like them or there's going to be differences. But it, it was it was, pertur- it was increasingly perturbing. And um, when I got to 50 and I think birthdays with a zero on the end, we all tend to evaluate our lives at that point, and certainly at 50, I felt like, well, my life's at least half done now, and I didn't want to die wondering who I looked like or who I was like. So that really spurred me to try and connect with paternal family members to see if I was like them. So that's at the point that you decided to undertake a a DNA test, and was that the aim, to find people on your father's side of the family through that test? Yes, absolutely. It was 2016. I was actually 53 by then. And I had been talking quite a bit with my friends in the adoption community about what I could do. You know, the commercial DNA tests were starting to sort of get a bit of popularity by then. And look, nothing ventured, nothing gained. I felt like it was an investment in the future, planting a seed. So you did the test, you sent off your saliva or whatever you needed to send to them and you got That's it. <laughs> you got you got your results. What did they show? Well, they were just a big surprise. I the first thing I did was, you know, rush to the page where it shows your DNA matches with your relatives. And um there were just weren't any close matches, which was sort of what I'd expected, but their names, they were there were so many Greek names, more than half were like full-bore Greek names and I didn't recognise any of them, not one name. And I'm and even the Anglo-Celtic type names, I just, there was just no names with anybody who I knew might be in the family or, so that was like, what is going on here? And then I went to the ethnic background page, the the maps and the percentages of ethnic background and I knew both my natural parents were, their heritage was from the British Isles. So I had to, you know, fluff around and press some drop-down boxes and it just said 0% for English, Welsh, Irish, Scottish, all of that was just a big fat zero. And there was this huge amount of Greek. It was, at the time, it said 70% Greek. And I'm thinking, well, look, I'm no geneticist, but I know that you get 50% of your DNA from each parent. You can only get 50% even if one's 100%, you know, Greek, and that's extraordinarily unlikely. So both my parents are Greek. I just thought this is a mistake. Yeah, they'd swapped your saliva or something or just sent you the wrong information. Exactly. I thought they must have switched my sample in the lab. I emailed Ancestry DNA and said, look, I do know I'm adopted, but I do know who my natural mother is and I have all this information about my natural father. I've got a good idea what my background is. Can you please check that you haven't switched my sample accidentally? And within really a couple of days, I got this quite long email back sort of saying, you know, I was thinking even then they must get this all the time. You know, well, people, when they do DNA tests, they often get a surprise or surprises and no, we didn't switch a sample, blah, 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 blah. It was like, oh, okay, Uh, this is something. So then I proceeded to try and talk with my natural mum and half-sister about this strange result. What did you think (laughs) might be the explanation? (laughs) Well, then I, it's funny how your mind thinks. I was thinking, hmm, maybe my mum really doesn't know for sure who her parents are. Maybe she was adopted and doesn't know. And, you know, and maybe there is another potential father that I've got who might have been Greek. So I was trying to talk through that with her, but it wasn't going down well. And um, and, and they just really didn't want to talk about it. Just sort of poo-pahed it. Like, I think the attitude was, oh, it's a spit test. You know, it's not even accurate. 
But I sort of had to drop it. I mean, I couldn't drop it. It was really rattling around in my head. But I was doing my PhD at the time. I thought, I've got to focus on that, get that finished, and then I can direct my energy to this and try and sort this out. So what were the next steps once you'd reached, it sounds like a kind of a a cul-de-sac, if you've got this surprising information about your ethnic heritage, but your natural mother's not interested in really having the conversation. I mean, did you want her to have a a DNA test? Was that the the next step? I would have loved if she or my, you know, half-sister had volunteered to have a test, but their attitude made me think they're not they're not going to do that. And not only will they not volunteer, but if I asked, I reckon they'd say no and it might be a really bad thing in our relationship. So I really had that fear quite early on that this was a pretty sensitive topic and it's a risk, it's a really big risk. So, yeah, I was pretty anxious about it. So what happened? Well, when the air started to clear with my PhD and I thought, right, I'm I was, you know, on track for that. I did another test myself with another company just to check the results and they were amazingly similar to the Ancestry DNA test result. And then I asked my husband and son to also do tests just to double check the accuracy and, of course, it came back exactly as we expected. And then I thought, well, there's nothing for it now. I have to pluck up the courage and ask my natural mother to take a DNA test. And... To my surprise, she agreed to do the test. And what did that test show, Penny? That we were not related. After 20 years of establishing a relationship, did it feel like a blow? Yeah, it, it, it was a blow to us all. And even though I, you know, intellectually was had gotten to that point where this was the only logical explanation, it, it was a blow. Yeah, it, it, I think it hit everybody. It was probably a bigger blow for my natural, you know, the person we thought was my natural mum because she really hadn't got her head around it. It hadn't put any stock in my original test results. So I think it was a big shock. And I think, I don't know, I think when she agreed to do it, she thought, well, it's going to come back and show we're related. I, I really don't know. But I, I, I could see and feel that it was a big blow. What happened to your relationship after that revelation that you were not the mother and daughter you had been told you were? Well, it went down pretty quickly. Um, I tried to keep in contact with my with the person who I thought was my natural mother, phoning and sending cards and things, and, and about a year later I got a reply, a card saying, you know, thank you for the flowers. But basically every time you have contact... It's painful and me and my family need to move on. So that meant without me and my husband and son. So really you were back at square one in a sense. What did you think or assume had, had happened? Where, where was he thinking at that point? Oh, my thinking was very much it was in the hospital because it had to be before I was placed with my adoptive parents because my history from that point on was very well known. <laughs> so... You know, I was in the hospital for three weeks before I was handed over to them and it had to be in that three weeks. So where did you go next to try and solve this mystery? I went back to the Victorian Government's Adoption Information Service um, with all my genetic screenshots and, and the story and said, please find my real background records, please find, please find my real mother. Were they shocked by your story? They were horrified that this could possibly have happened. How could this have happened, that you'd been swapped with another baby at the hospital? I mean, was it an accident? Well, we might never know that, (laughs) or whether it was deliberate or accidental, but through Every Family Has a Secret, they were able to, you know, find a, a medical historian who was able to explain exactly the sorts of baby identification processes that were happening at the time. And, I mean, I always knew that the babies for adoption were put in one nursery and the babies not for adoption were put in another. You know, there was separate care. So I felt it was very unlikely I'd been swapped with a baby that went home. But I figured, well, the babies in the nursery that were going to be adopted, I'd always worried that we didn't have as much care 
I mean, whether that's founded or not, it's another, you know, it's irrelevant, but the medical historian explained that there were multiple opportunities every day for babies to be misidentified because when they were born, they would have had a little luggage tag, basically little brown paper luggage tag tied to their wrist with a piece of brown string, like a package, <laughs> uh, just with a bow. On that, you know, little luggage tag would have been written the mother's surname, the baby's date of birth and the sex. Pretty much that was it. And then before leaving that birthing suite, the baby would have been bathed, that tag would have come off and another one would have been put on. It would have been a little cotton band written in the same Indian ink with the same information, but we're talking about a baby's wrist, so it had to be stitched on. And if the writing wasn't clear or it wasn't close enough in the middle or, you know, many opportunities for illegible writing, but also for it to be covered when the nurse stitched this tag on. And of course, babies notoriously lose weight after they're born. And certainly babies separated from their mothers for adoption did, and I know I did. So of course, these little tags that have been stitched on might not have been stitched very well, or the baby might have lost a lot of weight and with their own hands and waving around, they might have pulled it off. So every day, apparently, multiple tags falling off, multiple opportunities for misidentification. So I guess the odds are it was a mistake. However, the medical historian also told me that all the records for my year of birth, all the medical records at the Queen Vic were destroyed when they probably shouldn't have been even according to the hospital's own records destruction policy. So that's a very, you know, strange thing. You're listening to Conversations with Sarah Konoski. Hear more conversations anytime on the ABC Listen app. Or go to abc.net.au slash conversations. So, Penny, the Adoption Information Service who were helping you try to find your real natural mother, where did they start? They went to the government archives and found a register that identified mothers who had sought social work assistance or who the social workers had visited whose babies were being born were identified for adoption, so before we were even born. And I said to the AIS, I said, you know, you need to look for a Greek, a Greek mother, um, not one with an Anglo name because, you know, my mother is Greek. It's a fact. We know this from the DNA. So they did. And they found a mother who'd had a baby girl on the same day that I was born. And so very quickly they were able to identify the name of the person they believe was my mother. So this was in the first five weeks of me applying to them for my, you know, real records as I saw them. And they identified very quickly that there was a Greek woman who had had a baby girl and that it was probably me. They were very sure it was me. What could they tell you? Where, where was she now? <laughs> well, they could tell me a lot, but they couldn't tell me anything identifying. So <laughs> because, because it was actually someone else's, the person I was swapped with, her adoption records legally. Mm. So it was quite complicated. So they, could, they couldn't tell me her name. They couldn't tell me her date of birth, they couldn't tell me anything like that. But they could tell me that she'd gotten married later the same year I was born to a Greek man here in Melbourne, that she'd had other children here in Melbourne and then the family had gone back to Greece in the early 70s and that she was still alive and living in Greece. Oh, Penny, how did you receive that information? <laughs> well, that was like as I say, five weeks after I went to them. So it was like I I just wasn't expecting to have anything like that. I was expecting them to say, oh, look, we're searching, you know, and it's going on, but we're doing this now and we're doing that. I stupidly went to the interview by myself and, like, even though, you know, I'd worked in adoption for 12 years and 
we always would recommend bringing a support person. I stupidly didn't take anybody to that interview. And I, I just remember literally feeling like I was going to float away. I was, I was bouncing off the walls and I remember getting down onto Burke Street out of the office and thinking, I've got to go home. I'm not sure which direction to go in. I, like, I, it was just, I was floating. It was ridiculous. But then, of course, like, whoa, I needed to, you know, wanted the identifying information. But, oh, they were worried that because this was such an unusual situation, it had never happened before, that county court might want DNA proof of the person in Greece that they'd identified as my mother before they made a finding that I could have the identifying information. It was all very convoluted. So I asked them to reach out to her in in Greece with a view to forming a relationship and trying to persuade her to do a DNA test to confirm that we were mother and daughter. And what was her response um, wasn't so good. <laughs> she she only spoke Greek, so there was the issue of the language. So they used an interpreter, but that was very clunky. And it ended up that the, the manager of Adoption Information Service, who's Greek-Australian herself, ended up deciding that the best way was for her to speak directly with my mother. So there were several conversations over a period of time, and my mother confirmed that she had a baby on the day I was born in Melbourne and and gave quite a bit of the story, but did not want to have contact with me, did not want to do a DNA test, just was really worried that other people would find out that she'd kept this secret all her life. It was so shameful. So it was this mixture of it was the first time she'd ever been able to talk to anybody about it, um, you know, to the manager of Adoption Information Service, but she just did not want to to go any further and did not want any contact, any more contact from the AIS or me. Oh, Penny, it must have felt like you were both so close and so far at at the one time. I mean, did you consider just ending the search then, thinking, well, this is all that I'll, I'll know or this is where this relationship ends? Mm, I couldn't. <laughs> I had to respect that she wanted no contact. You know, I didn't want to traumatise her anymore. And clearly it had been a very traumatic experience for her. But I needed to know if she was definitely my mother. And also, knowing there were other children, half-siblings, I felt they had a right to know about me as I had a right to know about them. And I felt like I needed to pursue trying to establish contact with them. So I asked the AIS to reach out to my siblings. And I guess they couldn't do with your mother's consent. Did they do it with her knowledge? Yes, they did tell her. Her consent was irrelevant because I'm an adult, they're adults. They also told her because I had by then decided to apply because she wouldn't do a DNA test, I had decided to apply to the county court to get her um, identifying information which was really the adoption records of the person I was swat with. So, of course, they had to be contacted as well, mm. and my mother in Greece. So the court was writing to them anyway, pointing all this stuff out and what I was trying to do. How tricky was it to get in contact with those siblings, though, if, if it couldn't come through your your natural mother? What was that process like of, of getting in touch with them? Well, yes, the AIS tried to reach out through Facebook and um, and via phone, it's not easy to get in contact with people who only have mobile phones if then, you know, there's no sort of central register. So there was basically no response. It was unclear whether they received the messages, whether they got them and ignored them because they didn't know who they were coming from. It was just very unclear. And this had gone on for months and months. So it was at that point when I decided to try another avenue, which was Every Family Has a Secret, when we just had this hit this brick wall and there was nothing coming back from my siblings, then I thought, right, time to, time to bring in the extra troops and uh, <laughs> see if we can get any further. And you've taken things into your own hands in, a, in another sense and actually gone off to Greece yourself. Well... When when I um, when it was confirmed that my mother was in Greece, and I even at the point where it was clear she didn't want to have contact, 
I, again, respected that. I wasn't going to go to Greece and try and chase her up unless she wanted that. But I felt a very strong need to visit Greece and the places that were significant to her, the place where she grew up, which was an even smaller town than the one in which I grew up in Victoria, (laughs) and the place where she lived. But I was really paranoid about not hanging around and not being seen and because what if I did look like family? What if I did, you know? And so, yeah, last year my husband and son and I did go to Greece and we did travel those places. We visited, we drove around and visited those places and it was amazing. Greek people would start talking to me as if I was Greek. And one man actually said to me, after I'd said, you know, excuse me or something, he said, oh, blah, 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 blah. and I said, oh, no, that's all I've got, sorry. And he said, oh, for some reason I thought you were Greek. And I thought, oh, that is just the best thing anyone has ever said to me, you know. It made me feel very connected. And visiting those places, I actually... I picked up some pebbles off the place where my mum was living and, and brought them back to Australia because I thought, well, that's proof that I've been there and I know where she's spent a lot of her life. Even if I never get to meet her, at least I've got this. What about your siblings? Did you find any sign of them when you were in Greece? Well, when we were, we thought we knew where one of my uh, half-brothers worked that he had a business. So we actually went there very briefly and thought we saw him and his son. But we were very careful not to, but we also could hear that, you know, they were only speaking Greek and no English. And so I sort of was not going to reach out at that point. Well, for many reasons. A, they didn't even know I existed. He didn't know I existed. B, we didn't have common language. C, would have been inappropriate at his workplace. But it was so tangible. I could almost touch that person, you know, <laughs> could have almost touched him. So came back and met with the AIS and said, please try one more time. Please try and reach out to this brother at his workplace. I know you wouldn't normally do that, but if you send a letter to him and, you you know, do your usual thing, be very careful about what you say and stuff, this might be the way to go. So they did that. A month later, they hadn't had a response. The letter hadn't even arrived. That's things in Greece don't always, well, it's not quite like here in terms of things happening quickly. So they followed up with a phone call and, again, very carefully feeling this person out, didn't say anything about adoption, um, just said, you know, is your name so-and-so? Oh, yes, that's my name. And is your mother so-and-so? And this person goes, oh, no, that's my auntie. So at that point, well, uh-oh. And he says, oh, but I've got, you want, you know, blah, blah, the same name, my cousin. That's his mother. I can give you his phone number. So then the manager of AIS phoned that person and, and yes, he got a big shock. Uh, <laughs> but was really open to, you know, didn't sort of at any point say, oh, go away or this isn't believable or just said, oh my goodness, I need to talk to my siblings about this. And and two weeks later, when the manager phoned back, they said, yep, yep, we'll do a DNA test to confirm. So that was like just the best news that I would know for sure if this was my family, if that was my mother. And yeah, so of course was quite complicated and every family has a secret and ancestry DNA. We're very helpful in getting the tests to my siblings and expediting all that as best they could. But it still took months before we actually had the test results. They were saying, well, you know, you can contact us now and here's our details. And I just said, no, I can't go through this again. I need to know for sure through DNA before I have contact. And their DNA results confirmed that you had found your family? Yeah, I got the, I got the, I got the results. Uh, It was just, it was just amazing. It was just such a relief. It was fantastic. And then, you know, and immediately it was like, okay, now we can organise contact with these siblings. So it was, it was knowing what was to come as well as the confirmation. It was, it was like, this is just bigger than Ben-Hur now. This is, we're off and racing. (laughs) Did you speak on the phone with them then? What was your first contact with your siblings? The first couple of contacts were phone call with um, the AIS manager translating 
And then because one of my siblings uh, has good English, we then had um, some calls by Viber, you know, like FaceTime. And of course, we were, we'd already booked our second trip to Greece. So I was, I was actually going to be arriving in like six weeks time. And they really want, well, I wanted them to speak with our mother. And they wanted to speak with her because she didn't know that they now knew and that we had DNA confirmation. So it was quite tricky for them. They wanted to do it in as respectful a way as they could. Well, they told her they were now in contact with me, et cetera, et cetera, had DNA confirmation. And she really got a shock. So they couldn't then say, oh, and by the way, she's now coming in three or four weeks' time. They had to wait a bit longer and then tell her that. So it was a lot for her to take mm. in in a pretty short space of time. But, of course, I was going there. I, we were going to meet my siblings and they were going to meet me. That was fine. But but they also wanted me to meet her and I wanted to meet her. So, yeah, there was a fair bit of pressure on to get the word out. Mm. So you headed off to Greece just a few weeks after receiving this information what happened once you arrived in Greece, but this time with the names and and phone numbers of family? Well, more than that, this time I was going on a new passport with my new name, and my name is now hyphenated with my um, my mum's Greek name. So yeah, I travelled not only to meet my family, but with my um, name that integrates my mother's maiden name. And what was that reunion in person like with these siblings? Well, it it really was very, uh, it was very emotional. I, I didn't cry. I was just so, I was, my emotion was just full bore excitement. It was, unbel- I really felt connected to them, even though we, in some ways, uh, they're small. We look quite different in some ways. I'm tall, but when they looked at me, they saw their mother and their mother's family. Mm. So it was it was almost that they were it's sort of the reverse mirroring. They saw in me their family. But they, they were so warm, they were just so embracing. And the first day was just with two of my siblings and we just had, oh, I don't know, five hours sitting on the couch beside each other, just talk, 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 which was sort of complex because my the brother who was there doesn't speak much English, so, but he just smiled all the time like we were just so uh, happy to be in each other's company. What could they tell you about how the conversation with your mother had gone? Were, were they were they able to assure you that you'd get to meet her or was that still unknown? <laughs> still unknown. Um, they just kept saying in the very Greek way, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. We're going to have a family lunch tomorrow. It'll be fine, it'll be fine. So I really wasn't sure right up until I arrived at the um, aunt's place where we were having this lunch who was going to be there. As you're looking around that crowd of faces, was your mother there? Yes, yes. <laughs> That's when I lost it. I gave her, you know, we had a big hug. It was sort of strange. I walked in and I'm going, oh, okay. So it was almost like a panic. Which one's my mum? It was like, oh, don't be silly in my head. My head's going, don't be silly. It's the one in the dark clothing. She's a widow. Don't be, how could you have not, you know, <laughs> why would you be looking at the other one? Like, anyway, um, but it was like, oh, oh, I was also trying to take in who do I look like, you know. I'm standing in the doorway looking around, you know, where's my mum, where's my mum? And the the looks that I got, it was like they'd seen a ghost, my mum and my aunt. Uh, they just, like, happy but like whoa and then my aunt found this photo very quickly she just pulled out this photo of my yaya you know their mother and and I could I just was the spit of her in the face and and hair gosh my hair I wear it long it was actually about the same length as hers was in this photo and I like I just it just hit me in the face um, but it hit them in the face too there's just no question and, I was a part of this family. And what sort it, of state yeah. was she in, Penny? You know, this had been such a um, shock for her. And, and how old yeah. was she? Early 80, 83, 83. Look, it was a shock. I think she was really working hard to try and keep it together herself. You know, at one point she walked out of the room, 
came back and, um, you know, I could see she was working very hard to keep it together. And, of course, I'd blub, started blubbing <laughs> by then, <laughs> which was it took me a while to get myself back together. I think I'd, even the excitement of the day before meeting two of my siblings, it was, um, uh, you know, I was just so excited. I'd already had phone calls with them. I'd already seen their faces. They'd seen mine. That was exciting. But yes, meeting my mum and not even knowing until I got there if she was going to be there, it was pretty big. It was, um, well, it was as big as it gets. Did she want to talk about the circumstances of your birth with you? Oh, I'm sure she did, but she couldn't because <laughs> she speaks Greek and I didn't. I speak a bit more now, but not <laughs> not enough to have that conversation yet. I'm working hard on it. But um, yes, I know we both want to have that conversation. What could she tell you about those years that you'd been separated? Is she thought she'd never see you or ever hear from you again? Mm, yeah. I mean, she was very concerned to know that I had a good upbringing and that I was placed with good people and she thought she had met my adoptive mother. She really thought she had met her around the time she signed the consent I said, I really, you know, this is through family members who are translating for us. I said, no, I really don't think you did. I think you might have met the adoptive mother of the person I was swapped with. And that was a really hard thing for everyone to mm. deal with. It was like, it's one thing to be adopted as a newborn, but it was another thing to then be swapped in the hospital and to have gone through all this other stuff. So she said, no, no, I met, I met her. I met your other mother. So I happened to have a photo on my phone of probably the first photo of me in my adoptive mother's arms. And so I, you know, got it up on the phone and I handed it over and said, did you meet this woman? And she looked at it really, really carefully and said, no. Mm. And she was just so disappointed. Like the whole body language, she had thought she had met the woman who was taking care of her child it was just so disappointing to her. So then I worked really hard to reassure her that I had a good life and that, you know, my adoptive mum and the dad were great people. And But, yeah, it was a big blow to her. But she also said that every time she went into a church, ever since I was born, the first candle she lit was for me. Mm. So um, I, that was very, very powerful. Was she happy to be found? I think so. Yes, I do think so. She, I had was able to have two visits with her while I was in Greece this last time. We met in the first week when I was there, but I was there for a month and, you know, went away with friends, visited a few places and then went back at the end. I left a few days free deliberately in case I could visit again. And that time she was so much more relaxed and warmer not that she wasn't warm the first time, but it was just, you could tell that she had gotten more comfortable with the idea and, you know, was relieved that her children had embraced me and they weren't judging her at all. These things happen, etc. And I was trying to explain that I've reclaimed my original identity and I said, you know, look, my passport, my driver's licence, and I just pulled it out because it's in my phone case and handed it to her and she really studied it. And then she said to one of my relatives to tell me, tell Penny I'm really pleased that she reclaimed my family name because there aren't many of that name left anymore. So she was really proud of that and really proud that I had such a good education. And, you know, there was pride. You know, I think it was, was very hard and she was very on edge the first meeting, but I could even see by that second visit that it was sitting much better with her and she, you know, I mean, it, for me over the years it took time to digest the information about who my family was supposed to be, let alone who it really is. It takes time to really chew it over and go through the emotions. So, you know, she had really a much shorter amount of time in the end to do that um, before meeting me. So I, I think she's done an amazing job. I think she's amazing, amazingly resilient. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just so pleased that she's accepted me. Yeah. So does this mean the end of secrets about who you are in the world? Well, it is complicated. <laughs> Nothing's ever straightforward in these stories. So um, the maternal family 
well, the ones who know, <laughs> that's all fine. But her husband's family don't know, haven't been told, won't be told. It's it's not that straightforward. So, for example, I can't just go and stay in the village because questions would be asked. Nearby's fine, and whilst she's very happy to see me, it's complicated. So I am embraced, but I'm not living there. You know, I have to respect that not everybody will know. And if I'm ever introduced, if I'm, you know, I'm, we're going back next year, I'm going back twice actually. But if I'm indu- introduced to somebody, I need to be very careful about if I'm asked questions. I might just be, you know, the distant relation from Melbourne. So it is, it's it's great, but it's also, it's not it's not simple either. <laughs> you say that you're, you're learning Greek. Penny, how tough is that at this point? <laughs> It's, it is tough. I haven't got an ear for languages and, um, yeah, I'm finding it hard. I started back in 2019. I think I did two terms. I've now into my third or fourth again, so, I'm, you know, up to five terms. And I'm using two apps as well. And I've now got a cousin here who um, is helping me with my conversation. So I think um, you've, you've shown that you're a woman of determination, Penny. So if anyone can crack it, I reckon it's going to be you. Why is it so important to you to speak the language? Well, I really want to have those conversations with my mother in Greek, not through anybody. I, th- I don't think she wants anybody else there. I think we need to have some conversations privately. And the only way to do it is if I learn Greek or enough Greek that we can at least have a basic conversation. So, you know, mum's not young and she hasn't been well and I just feel the need to, to a very strong need to do that. And, um, yeah, so I am. I'm committed. I'm, I'm finding it tough, but, you know, I've just got to press on. It has been such a journey of highs and lows, of disappointments, of fresh hopes. Has it been worth it? for you? Oh, absolutely. Well, look, if if you value the truth at all, it has to be. But, but for me, as a person who grew up knowing I wasn't the biological child of the people who raised me, it was always going to be a journey. I mean, as a child, you don't know for sure. But, you know, I was, I was open enough to not ever rule it out. And of course, things happened that drove me to do it, which is very common in people who are adopted. There's a, a life event that sort of feels like the rug's been pulled out from under you and you you feel this huge need to build yourself back together and, and rebuild your identity. And I mean, that's a thing that people do over their lifetime anyway, whether or not they're adopted. But for me, there were these important events that drove me to, to find the truth. And absolutely... I don't regret the decisions I've made to pursue that and I'm so pleased I did it and, you know, I was never going to die wondering. (laughs) I really hope you get to have those conversations with your mum in Greek and thank you so much for sharing this extraordinary story with us on Conversations. Thank you very much, Sarah. Penny's story is featured in the SBS TV series Every Family Has a Secret and she's also about to release her own book called Greek, actually. You've been listening to a podcast of Conversations with Sarah Kanoski. For more Conversations interviews, head to the website abc.net.au slash conversations.